Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi folks, I'm Andrew Millen and you're all very welcome back to the Celtic Soul Podcast, episode 24. Joining me today on the show will be Scottish political activist and Celtic fan, Tommy Sheridan. Oh, where do I start? After Wednesday night. The reaction to yet another early exit from the Champions League has been one of anger. Lawwell, Brown, Julian, Barkas, El Hamid and Lennon. Names all called out by frustrated fans. Edward was out injured and when the team sheet was announced, fans were quick to take to social media to ask why was there no striker named in the starting eleven? while there was two on the bench, Klamala and Ayeti. And Griffiths might as well not be a Celtic player anymore since falling out of favour with the manager. Ryan Christie was given the lone striker's role, taken out of his natural position. Did the manager not respect the visitors? They were the Hungarian champions. They had a decent campaign last season in the Europa League. I have to say I was a little nervous before the game. An unknown quantity was how I described them in a text to a friend. And after seven minutes, they scored. Now in fairness to Celtic, they got back into the game and were well on top when the referee blew for half-time. The second half, we were still on top. But like in both our league games this season, we could not break down a well-drilled defence. The visitors were nothing special, but well-organised and worked hard when Celtic had the ball. It's worth noting that when we scored against Dundee United, there was two strikers on the pitch. When Christie equalised, I thought like so many fans that we would go on to win the game. But 11 minutes later, that thought was shattered. 2-1. Lenny introduced Frimpom and Ayeti. We now had a striker on the pitch, but to no avail. In summing up the night, Celtic controlled the game. The visitors had two shots and scored. Our defending was again terrible, and the manager, although taking some of the blame, wasn't long calling out unnamed players who he said do not want to be at the club. Not even the signing of Messi could have calmed down the Celtic fans yesterday. So the signing of David Turnbull from Motherwell, who has waited a year to sign, couldn't put a smile back on the Celtic fans' faces. I wish David all the best. He looks like a quality player. Great reports coming from Motherwell. And hopefully he can do the business for us. He deserves his chance. 
we as Celtic fans can do no more. We've paid for our season books without knowing if or when we can get back in to watch the team. Replica jerseys and training tops have been flying off the shelves as Celtic release three new Adidas strips. Tommy Sheridan is a Scottish politician, a former member of Scottish Parliament, a former junior footballer, a columnist for Sputnik News, a Celtic fan, a fan of Neil Lennon, and not only has Tommy been locked up in prison, he's also been locked up in the Celebrity Big Brother house. Hi Tommy, you're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. How's life during these strange times of COVID-19? And what's your take on rugby fans being allowed in the weekend to watch a game, but at the same time it's no go for football fans? Hi Andrew, it's uh, good to talk to you brother. Um, we, we usually have face-to-face chats uh, in, in Malone's and we have some... We've had some great days there and hopefully we'll be getting back to that type of uh, personal interaction soon. Uh, It has been weird, hasn't it? I mean, I think all of us have struggled with the lack of social interaction because we're human beings and we tend to socially interact. We thrive on social interactions and not being able to socialise with your mates and uh, not being able to go to matches. I mean... Honestly, the, the watching the football is, is just a nightmare. I mean, I, you're watching games and the lack of atmosphere is is, is just terrible and uh, it's sad. Uh, and therefore, the, the, this weekend, uh, I've got to say, uh, <laughs> I think it's a bit of a, a middle-class decision because it's all right for Murrayfield to have the experiment, but but not Paradise. Um, so that the, 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 the toffs that tend to go to the, the rugby uh, or certainly, it's, I I interpret it like that. I'm sure there are some decent folks going to watch rugby as well. But why is it okay to have an experiment there, but not have an experiment in Glasgow? So uh, I was disappointed by that decision. Um, however, in saying that, I hope it goes well with Murrayfield uh, at the weekend because I think if it does go well, then it won't be long before we've got uh, a thousand or so fans allowed back into the the ground, um, and then hopefully for there five and ten and. 15,000 because um, Big Jock said that any football without the fans is nothing so um, I, I, we need to get back to the fans as soon as possible Andrew. Yeah you mentioned Big Jock there and I'm going to bring in another leader Nicola Sturgeon are you happy how she's managed the Covid crisis in Scotland? Does the whole handling of the Covid crisis have moved the Scottish nation any closer to another independence reference Tommy because obviously nobody seemed happy with the Tories handling it in Scotland you know, it's, it's quite a complex question, Andrew, because um, sometimes there is a, a need to apply an old saying about in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Um, and what I mean by that is when you compare Nicholas' performance to Boris Johnson, it really wouldn't take much to be better. Um, <laughs> and therefore, I don't want to take away from Nicholas' performance. I think she has done well in her daily briefings. I think she has stood up to the challenges well and the uh, pressures from, from England and Westminster. But she should have locked down earlier. We should have had a contact tracing system in place earlier. Um, we should have done things um, at the time when other European countries were doing them. And quite frankly, we would have saved lives. Now, I know the argument will be, well, um, it would have been harder to do things without Westminster support. They would might not have allowed lockdowns, etc., etc. But that's the time when you say we're going to lead them, we're going to, we're going to be different. Boris Johnson's inability to accept scientific advice 
has led, in my opinion, to an in excess of 20,000, 30,000 deaths that were totally and utterly avoidable. And that's not just me, that's scientific examination of the figures and the trends. The, the, the fact that he delayed the lockdown by a couple of weeks meant thousands died who didn't need to die. So uh, this has been a very, very serious situation uh, that requires serious leaders. Um, Sturgeon's done a lot better than Johnson. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Uh, however, there, there have been gaps. What that means then, Andrew, is just last week, for the first time ever, we had the sixth successive opinion poll showing majority support for independence in Scotland. And the last two showed 54 and 55 percent. It's the largest ever in one of those polls was YouGov. And YouGov polls have always underestimated the support for independence. So to answer the second part of your question, has independence been made more or less likely uh, by the COVID um, situation, I think, more likely because Scotland and people in Scotland now see ourselves more as a nation than ever before. You know, we, we have implemented things differently from England. We've, had, in my opinion, done things better uh, than England. And I think if you look at the figures and, and infection rates, etc., I think we've actually... Um, shown that we, we, we have done things in a, in a better fashion. So I think people now look at Boris Johnson and the spivs at the top of the Tory party and say, what do we want? We want to take the slight gamble of going it on our own. Um, we've got a fantastic economy. We've got great potential. Or do we want to stick with these bunch of shysters for the next five years? And I think people are saying, let's go for it. Uh, I think the idea in, in 14 about stability and sticking with the devil, you know, I think that had a strong sway. I don't think it's got a strong sway any longer. In fact, I, I remember one of the debates during 2014 where I think it was Jim Sillers suggested that if, if, if you're not careful, you're going to end up with a extreme right-wing Boris Johnson-led government. And he was, he was accused of scaremongering. How dare you scaremonger? <laughs> Unfortunately, six years later, the nightmares came through. Um, so I think independence is now a matter of when, not if, Andrew. I think it's inevitable. Well, I'm sure, Tommy, that there'll be many debates over the next coming years about that. And I, and I, I look forward to some of them, which you're included in, because I always enjoy when you're debating with them down south. Tommy, um, you've always been a vocal supporter of Neil Lennon, from a returned as caretaker manager when Brennan left, right through to his appointment in the showers in Hamden. Has your opinion changed since the start of this season with what's going on and off the pitch? Absolutely not, um, Andrew. And, and I would take it further back because um, I interviewed Neil in 2008 in the Tron Theatre in uh, Glasgow. I was doing a two-night um, comedy show. Um, supposed to be a comedy show, but my Friday night guests were Jerry Conlon and Paddy Hill. Um, and we managed to talk about the British injustice and, and what they've done to Ireland over many centuries and what they did to the Gulf of Four and the, the Birmingham Six. But my Saturday night guest was Neil Lennon, who at the time was playing with Wickham, I think it was. And uh, he drove up with his agent that night, and there was no fee involved, to, to speak to us at the Tron Theatre. And it was packed, 300-odd people in the theatre. 
and I asked him then what was his what was his ambition? What what, what did he want to do? Because he'd left Celtic, he's now playing at, at a lower level. And he said that night he wanted to become the manager of Celtic. Um, so I've always um, been quite proud that Neil first revealed his desire to be the manager on my wee show at the Tron Theatre in Glasgow. And ever since then, um, Andrew, I've, I've been a big admirer of Neil as a person. Um, and I think he has developed his skills as a coach. I think his first his, uh, time in charge of Celtic, he learned from working as an understudy with, with, with Gordon and others. And I, I think um, he was the man to, to, to step in at the time. And he brought a lot of success, um, brought us some fantastic nights. But it was still raw, there's no doubt about it, raw and hedges and probably got far too involved in things at that time. He was relatively young. Um, I think the period he had with, with Hibbs and Bolton um, has allowed him to, to, to mellow a, a great deal. And that's why when I look at people talk about the, the fact that I think we've had, what, five competitive games, Andrew? Five competitive games. We've, we've won three of them, drawn one and lost one. And I'm looking at social media and you would think that we were on the edge of disaster, that, that, that things were about to collapse. The guy, in my opinion, has worked in very difficult conditions because we've all been dealing with the COVID stuff. He's trying to strengthen in the areas of the team that, that clearly need to be uh, strengthened. But we started um, with a, a fantastic performance at at home to Hamilton. Um, some people might say, oh, it was only Hamilton. You know, we won five. And it was only Hamilton. Well, I just want to remind you, it was a last-minute Bruni goal that season that beat Hamilton at party. We nearly dropped two vital points. People maybe forget that. Um, we then had a performance which I think was lacklustre at Kilmarnock. I think we always underperformed on that pitch. I think Kilmarnock did very well. I think they sat in brilliantly. Um, but I think Apart from Big Julian's uh, silly error, Commander wouldn't have scored that day. Um, so we would have won it, but uh, my problem, my concern was we never created enough chances there. You then move on to Dundee United. And people have so talked about we struggled against Dundee United. We struggled in terms of scoring the goal that mattered. But look at the amount of shots on target, Andrew. Look at the amount of chances that were created. See, if we hadn't won that match, it, it, it would have been absolute burglary. It would have been a disgrace if we hadn't won that, that match. So we then go on to the other night. And Wednesday night, we play the team and Neil's getting in the neck for his selections. Um, I've got to say, some of the very same people who are attacking him for no playing Klamala, for instance, uh, were attacking him for no playing in Charm and no playing Christie. Um, when I ask people who would you have played who would you have dropped in the team I'm getting a variety of responses uh, a lot of blank responses but some people suggesting oh we should have, we should have dropped Brown and, and played uh, McGregor uh, further back others are saying they should have uh, dropped Forrest um, and played Christie outright the truth is we had 28 shots on the night 9 on target Three chances, do you remember them, Andrew, as, as closely as I can? Three chances that went across the six-yard box for cutbacks that you or I could have tapped in. And we lost two goals, Andrew, which quite frankly, I, I, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but 
the big man, big big Barkas. Okay, first one is a great shot, but it's for twenty four yards, mate. And I'm I'm looking for a, a world class keeper to be maybe you know saving that. But the second goal, I mean, everybody's having a go at El Hamed, and absolutely, why is he not put it out for a corner, uh, sliding in there, or just tapping it with his toe? But once the guy has got into that angle where he can only put it one place, for God's sake. This isn't a great shot. This was a trundler. And I, I say to the big man, you've been doing there um, in installments, the ball went through his legs. Um, if that hadn't happened, if the good goal that uh, Elanusi scored, perfectly good goal, if the shot for Ensham actually um, goes under the bar instead of hitting the bar, then we're not having the same discussion today, Andrew, because when you do 70% of the play, you've got 70% of the play, you've got 28 shots, you've got nine on target. Most people would say that's enough to win a, a, at least one match, if not several. Um, but everybody wants to have their goal. We're all um, coach managers, Andrew. Um, you wonder why management is such a tough job, because it's so easy. Uh, all you need to do is read social media and you'll see what, what everybody uh, should be doing when they're managers of teams. Um, personally, my criticism of Neil wasn't actually the lineup. I, I, I probably, on balance, I think his lineup right. There, there you go. And people say, oh, you guys a disgrace. How, how dare you start without a forward? You know, maybe they forget 2017. Tom Rodgick played against Rosenberg as a, a top man. Or the, the, the next tie against Rosenberg when Jamesy Forrest played the, 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 the top man. We, we, we played both those games without a forward. Nobody complains because we won the result. You know, you know, people forget these things. I remember going away to Hearts um, and, and, and Scott Sinclair was played the centre forward. And I was one of those that before the game was saying, bloody hell, Brendan, what are you doing? You need to play a forward. We won 5 now that day. You know what I mean? So let, let's get it right. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I do think some opinions have got a wee bit more quality and a, a, a wee bit more context than others. My criticism of Neil was maybe the length of time it took to change things. Uh, I thought after 60 minutes, that's when we should have maybe looked to change it. I can understand we've equalised. It's one each. And let's face it, Andrew, you watched the game. I watched the game. Who did you think was going to win that game? We were all over them. We were dominating it. I thought they were tiring badly. I, 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 you know, I was worried about it. It looked to me as though they were tiring. Um, however, I think, Neil, 60, 65 minutes, uh, I think it was crying out to bring on uh, Frimpong because El Ahmed had been booked. And if he ever got into a one-to-one, um, there was a good chance if he committed a foul, he's gone off. So I would have, I would have replaced him earlier and I certainly would have uh, given uh, either Ayeti or, or or Kamala a chance up front um, because you know we were chasing the goal. However, I say that we had the underside of the bar and we scored the goal. And uh, I mean the, the chance that went right across the box. I mean uh, that that uh, needed a tap in. People will say, "Aye, but if you'd a forward on, then a forward would have scored those chances." The other side of the argument is, but if we if we didn't have the players on that we did have, would we have created those chances? So, listen, it's all very, very small margins, Andrew, in football. Very, very small margins. And what I don't accept, I accept everybody's got the right to their opinion, no doubt about it. But some of the vitriol that's been directed at Neil since Wednesday has been absolutely pathetic. 
Um, I, you know, you, you go to Parkhead and you sing songs about win, lose, or draw, and faithful through and through, and then you read some of this stuff and you say, are you a, are you a hun in disguise? Uh, you know, are, are you really a, a ranger supporter because you're acting like one? And, and from my point of view, I think that's unacceptable. Yes, by all means, criticise the, 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 the time it's taken to get the signings through the door. Criticise the selection. You're, you're entitled to do that. You pay your money, uh, you buy your merchandise, you're entitled to do that. But let's not go over the line where it becomes, you know, sack him. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm reading people saying, get him out the door and all the rest of it. The guy has just come in last season there. Uh, he, he secured us the title the season before. He's got us nearly the treble. We're two games away for a quadruple uh, treble. We, uh, from January of this year, um, Andrew, we were playing brilliant stuff. And by the way, people have to remember, when it got to December of, of, of last year, and, and you know Rangers were a, a game in hand and they could have went above us um, in the league if they'd won their game in hand. It was nothing to do with Celtic playing badly. We actually had more wins, more goals. We conceded less. We were playing more attractive football than the season before. What had happened was Rangers had improved. That's why it was so close. And then we come back to Dubai in, in January and bang! We were absolutely immense. We were in top uh, uh, draw, although the other side of that coin is Rangers collapsed. So uh, put those things together. Why would you have a go at Neil five games into the season when we've won three of them and drawn one? I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. And to me, it shows hidden agendas for some people who never liked Neil, didn't want him appointed in the first place. They can't wait. They can't wait to have a go at him. I never heard them coming out the uh, traps with the same desire when we go away to Lazio and have an absolutely fantastic result. I never heard the same uh, desire when, when, when we beat uh, Rangers and when we went further ahead and won the, the, the league uh, uh, last year um, and 13 points sitting there. There wouldn't be more um, if, if the season had finished. I never heard people come out with the same desire of, well done, Neil, I was wrong and all the rest of it. But as soon as they uh, interpret a mistake and a bad result, one result, um, they're on his back and they want him out the door. I mean, it's pathetic. I, I've got to say, if any of them are, are joiners or plumbers and they've ever made a mistake in their, 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 their jobs, one, one mistake uh, and they get sacked, I, a lot of them would be uh, permanently unemployed. I just want to pick you up on a few points there, Tommy. One, I don't think we had fifth forwards when Sinclair and Forrest and Roger played up front because of a lack of forwards at the club. But I could be wrong on that, and I'm sure some of the listeners might point it out. As far as not playing a, a striker um, the other night, we had fit strikers. Now, but, uh, and this maybe is the argument, Tommy, that there's players coming into the club that the manager is not maybe in favour of bringing them in. You know, we go back to Garden Striker when Paddy McCourt turned up and Garden Striker didn't know who he was or when other managers have had players coming in and there's been rumours that, you know, they've been given players. They haven't they haven't been there players to bring in. And when you look at the amount of players that we have warming benches or out on loan, it does suggest that because if, if, a, if a manager was eager to get these players in, surely he'd be eager to get them playing. And I just think that that's maybe a bigger picture here that... The influence from upstairs on who is brought into the team may just be our downfall because the project is bring a player in, bring him in cheap, develop him because we've got good scouts. There's no, we've had Virgil van Dijk, Dembele, 
Wanyama. Bring them in and sell them off for big profits. But there's an awful lot also coming in who you wouldn't recognize if you met them in the street, Tommy, because you've seen them signing and you've seen them leaving. And you've seen them very little on the pitch. Somebody posted a list the other day, Andrew, and it was the last five years of Celtic signings. And I'll tell you what, it was shocking to, to, to read it, mate. Because see, see when you see it in black and white, the number of failures that we've had on the transfer market, it is absolutely shocking. We can talk about Eddie and we can talk about Dembele, fantastic uh, signings. Um, we were very, in my opinion, very lucky with you guys. We brought them in, we developed them, we gave them a platform um, and Dembele went away and made us an awful lot of money. Same you can say with Victor, um, but in some respects, um, the success actually blurs the failures because there have been so many failures in, in the transfer market. And the, the point about um, the, the Rosenberg example and the Hearts example, um, for instance, that right away that the, the Hearts example, Jack Aitchison had played and therefore was an out-and-out forward and, and was, a, was an option, but they never went with him. Rosenberg, similar. I can accept that it's not the same as a 3.5 million signing that's, that's, that's sitting on the bench. Um, and therefore, um, you know, I, I can understand it's a very, very reasonable argument, Andy, to, to say, no, we should have started with we Polish Paddy. We should have, we, we should have had him uh, starting. Personally, as I said earlier, I think the lineup and the number of chances we made shows that the players that were put on the park were, were more than capable of beating this team. I mean, 70% of the play and, and all the chances that were made, I mean, absolutely. Where my only criticism I knew would be um, the length of time it took to change it. And, and, and then when he did change it, um, I think Aeti's been brought on because he'd, he'd scored the goal against Dundee United because he certainly has not been brought on because of his, his fitness levels. I, I think he looks uh, at least a couple of weeks off the pace, Andrew. I mean, uh, maybe he is a bulky player. Um, all my life, I was, uh, I was always described as stocky which was always a, a kind way of saying I was fat. Uh, but uh, Aeti looks a wee bit stocky. Um, and uh, therefore, uh, personally, maybe it would have been better to bring him on. Uh, sorry, bring on Pat, uh, Patrick than bring on Aeti. But I think the changes should have been earlier. There's, there's no doubt about it. But leaving it to 12 minutes to go after they've scored, it's, it's, it's a tall order. Um, however, who saw the goal coming, you know? It was... <laughs> It was it was like amateur football. It was like doing, doing the park. You know, somebody clears it up the park. Long punt. El, El Ahmed. I like the guy. He seems to be a good player, quite solid player. I think he, he could be uh, a useful player. Uh, but he's known for his physical uh, presence. So why the hell did a, a wee skinny guy push him off the ball and 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 run run past him and get a get a shot on target? I mean, uh, ah. These are personal errors, mate, that then fall back on the manager because he picked the team. Um, but as I say, the margins are so small, Andrew. Um, I, I do think it is right to have a debate and it's right to, to raise criticisms, but I do think there's a way to do it. You know, and We're all a family. We're all Celtic supporters. Um, let's not try and slit each other's throats um, when, when we have debates. Here, here, Tommy. Tommy, before before I move on, just just I just want to point out something as well. We had so many chances against Dundee United, and Eddie was up front, 
But it was when we brought on a second forward that we finally broke them, and both of them were involved in the goal. You talked there about how good Celtic were when they come back from Dubai. Neil played two up front, so you know there is a, there is there's always an argument from from the. I'm amateur, a massive advocate of Andrew. Andrew, the there's nobody. No, I think we've got to play three at the back, mate. I don't, I'd rather three at the back, five across the middle, two up front. That, that's my preferred formation. Uh, believe it or not, when I was in prison for a wee while, I, I was made the, the manager of the football team in, in jail. And that was the formation I went for. And we did very well, I've got to say. Yeah, we, we, I was, uh, Escaped the victory. To, 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 we were allowed to play uh, uh, amateur teams. And we actually did well with that formation. But... Um, so nobody's going to convince me otherwise that that's what we should go for. Um, however, that is going to lead to big decisions because you simply can't play in Cham, uh, McGregor, Brown and Christie in the same team then. You know, you, you can't do it. You can't fit them all in. Some people are saying that Brown's finished. Well, whether he has got a full 90 minutes in on him any longer or not, I don't know. But he gives you that physical prowess in midfield that I think we still need. And certainly when the Hungarians came, they were a big physical outfit. Not to have started with Bruni, I think, would have been a mistake. And I keep returning to it. The, the lineup we started with produced 70% possession, 28 shots, and nine of them on target. So see if, see if we were talking here and, and we hadn't managed the shot on target and we hadn't created chances. Then I think you've got a bigger case to say the lineup was wrong. Well, Tommy, the debate is going to rumble on on the game, and indeed on Neil Lennon and Scott Brown. But Tommy, what I have you here? Will you take the listeners back to the streets of Glasgow when Tommy Sheridan was a young boy growing up, and maybe give us an insight into your first introductions into politics and football? Well, the football thing's easier, uh, Andrew. My old man uh, was a big Celtic supporter. Um, he was uh, a member of the St. Brendan Celtic Supporters Club of, of Linwood. And um, he used to take me to the matches from age of six, seven, eight. Um, I had the pleasure of, of, of witnessing um, big, big Billy McNeil. I can remember Jim Brogan. I can remember Vic Davidson. I can remember Kenny Douglas, Dixie Deans, and, you know... I had the pleasure um, recently at, uh, at Parkhead of, of introducing my daughter, uh, Gabrielle, um, to Dixie Deans and, and making the point, darling, here, here's, here's my childhood hero. Um, I love Dixie. I mean, some of you uh, listening will, will recall the character of Dixie because when he, when he missed the penalty against Inter Milan in the semi-final to, to take us out of the, the European Cup, uh, a lot of people were suggesting, you know, he was he was a donkey, he was done, and all the rest of it. But um, he played in the cup final. I think it was six or seven days afterwards, and scored a remarkable hat trick and, and and was outstanding. So these are memories as a kid that that you grew up with, and uh, that that was my memory of, of of supporting the tick and 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 loving the team and loving um, meeting up with the buses and. Walking up to Parkhead and feeling part of something, part of a a huge family that uh, that, that loved the Celtic. Maybe there are complaints in their days as well. You know, Tommy Callaghan. People uh, didn't they like Tommy Callaghan. People used to debate that George Conley wasn't he uh, wasn't he interested enough. Uh, they were all great players. Uh, I, I I I love 
watching Paul Walsh and Bobby Lennox. I mean, these are players that from an older generation, Andrew, um, but they're, they're the players that, that make an indelible mark in, in my mind. Um, and uh, that, that, that those are my early memories. I then started playing football from about 10, 11, 12. And sadly, in some respects, I feel rotten about this, but I, I actually, my dad was then asked for the local football team, Pollock United football team, he was asked to get involved with helping to run the club. So with me getting involved in playing football, I actually took my dad away from going to the games because my dad then went on to become the manager. Uh, all my mates tell me that's why I got a game. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, I, I helped him do the strips on a Friday night and uh, I would always have a wee sneak into his wee book, the wee notebook where he would write the team out on a Friday night. And if I wasn't in it, by hell, there was uh, there was going to be problems there. But anyway, um, my dad and then my uncle, my dad's brother, uh, both of whom used to go to the games, they became the manager and, and assistant manager. And from under uh, 10s to under 18s, they saw Paul at United right through. We won everything. We, we had a fantastic team, a great, uh, uh, great club. We, 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 I came for Pollock and Southside of Glasgow. It's a big housing scheme, Andrew. It's got a share of problems, a lot of uh, poverty and, and, and sometimes alcohol, drug difficulties, a bit of violence. But you know what? Paul United was an institution because it gave us two nights a week somewhere to go and train. Friday nights with our discos, Saturdays and Sundays with our games. It took a lot of us off the street. It took a lot of us away for the attractions of, of, of the glue and the alcohol and getting involved in the gang cultures. Um, so it was brilliant. And my old man, Aloha, I regret that it took him away from going to watch Celtic. He'd done a brilliant job. He became the president of the club, Paul United, and he was a loved guy. People just loved him. Um, so, you know, we, through the ranks of Paul United with the likes of Tommy Coyne come through, we Mickey Mellon. I mean, it's funny, I was watching the Dundee United game and I've never met Mickey uh, Mellon, but my dad loved him because he played with my dad's team later on. Because once I'd left the club, my dad was still running it and we Mickey was him and Paul McGrillen were, were in his, his team uh, we Paul God rest his soul so my dad loved we Mickey Mel and it was over the moon that, he, that he's done well so that that's my links with, with, with football I, I played as a, as a kid I always wanted to be a professional footballer um, I played in a team that produced David McPherson uh, Billy Davis um, we went on to become professional uh, players uh, unfortunately Never selected me, which I'm very, very bitter about uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> the, 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 the Man United scout, we Mr. Dickey, Jimmy Dickey, lovely guy who took Billy down to Man U for the age of 12. He, he did once say to me, uh, Tommy, you're just you're just a yard slow. Um, so, but for a yard, I might have made it, Andrew. But there, but there you go. I went on, I had no bad, I nearly used the word career. Playing junior football is hardly a career, but I played with several clubs at junior football level, semi-professional, played with the Ants, played with Bayliston, played with School Bride, played with the, the Bends. Um, and I enjoyed all of that um, with, with some success with, with, with these clubs. So I've, I've, I've loved football and I still play. I'm, I'm, I'm 56 years of age, but uh, after this interview, I'm away to play my regular Friday game. We play every Friday and every Tuesday. Um, we've not been able to do it via COVID, uh, because of COVID, but 
we've, we've managed to get back in the last uh, four or five weeks. Um, and I, I'm, I'm the manager of who I call the mighty yellow bibs. We wear the yellow bibs and and we uh, we, we take on some ex-players play. Um, but we win regularly, mostly because I pick the team. Um, but I make sure that anybody with legs and who can score goals is in my team. And all the old slow guys are in the other team. But, uh, you know, we have a great time, Andrew. We keep it going. I mean, the banter, we've got a each WhatsApp chat going, as most people have. Um, by the way, I need to get a shout out for another WhatsApp chat group and a, another campaign, the, the Willie Mealy Memorial Group, who have got a campaign going there to get a fitting statue uh, to Willie and, and Yuri. Um, and I hope that that goes well and I hope that uh, they, they raise the money. But in our wee group, um, the banter is cutting. Uh, and obviously, you can imagine that I got it in the neck the other night because I'm seen as a. People call me a Lenny apologist, and I keep putting my horn up and saying, "Yeah, absolutely, I support our manager, and 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 I think he deserves it." But listen, um, you've got to take that off with the smooth, Andrew. Um, <laughs> those that, that are attacking the likes of Neil during these times, um, as I say, they're not so vocal when things are going well. They only want to be heard when things are going uh, badly. Um, it's, it's it's like that annoying dog that only barks when things are quiet. Tommy, before we move off football now, and it's great to hear that you're still playing at 56 and looking well, looking fresh. Ah, um, can you see me? Can you see me? Is that, I is that, is that what you you're yeah, I can see you, yeah. Just you know me. I've got my Legends jersey on. Can you see that? Is I that... can see that, yeah. I, I, yeah. I noticed your name's not on it. <laughs> unfortunately, mate, unfortunately. <laughs> Andrew, just as a wee aside, I don't know, this might not be, but my, my new jersey arrived and I, I've got to say, people were saying, well, what, what are you going to get in the back? Obviously, I had to get Tommy, but when it came to a number, there's only one number, Andrew. <laughs> there it is. And that's Tommy the priority. Ten. I wish the, the boys and lassies that give us support every week would remember. That's the Holy Grail, number 10. <laughs> Never mind bloody Champions League. And frankly, we're out of the Champions League. It's over. Let's get the 10. That's what I want. Folks, just for the, just because you won't be able to see Tommy, and I can. I just like to tell you that he's getting very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Another player from the year you spoke about, there, Pat McCluskey, passed ah, away. No. I, I never got the chance to see Pat playing because he's before me. I did, I did, and he was he was an accomplished player. And I tell you what, he wore his heart on his sleeve when he went into the tackle. Andrew, he came out with a ball. Sometimes he came out with a man as well. And you know, Tommy, I had the pleasure of meeting him on numerous occasions, and he was just. He was one of them players that he didn't really want to talk about his career. He was just so humble. And, Lovely guy. You know, and he'd so much time for the fans. He used to I met him a couple of times at the conventions in North America and I met him in Glasgow and he was just one of the good guys, you know, sixty-eight, too soon. And I, and, I, and I, it was it was good to see the black armbands you at Night Farm being honored because maybe and someone said it, um I think someone said it recently when he passed away that the club should maybe look after some of the some of the former players uh, just a little bit better but anyway I'll move on and I just want to uh, just pay my respects Tommy to uh, definitely Pat's family and friends and he will be missed especially at the Absolutely. North American conventions and I'd like to pay uh, tribute to Jackie and Tommy and the rest of the North American Federation who always looked after Pat and some of the other players former players when they were brought over to America but anyway Tommy enough about football you're well known for politics. 
take us back to a young Tommy, if you can remember back that far. A young yeah. Tommy getting involved in politics. Tommy, I know you expelled from the Labour Party. You've been you've been involved in a number of other socialist parties. You got elected to the Scottish Parliament. You've been to jail on a number of occasions. Can you just let the listeners know about you know a little bit Tommy's political career and your political thinking? Andrew, I mentioned my, my old man there about the football, uh, and he was a massive influence on me as far as football is concerned. But when it comes to politics, the biggest influence was my mother. My mum, like many in her generation, born and governed, left school early, 15 years of age, uh, working for the age of 15, what most of her life in factories and then pubs um, was a, a bar stewardess in, in, in pubs for, for many, many years, um, trying to balance two and three jobs because things were tough, you know, and uh, bringing up families and, and, and working class schemes. My old man worked at Rolls Royce um, for years. That's, that was his job. But uh, my mum also worked in. She got involved at an early age um, in the trade union movement, Andrew, and started to organise bar staff to join trade unions to fight for better wages and conditions. Because in those days, bar staff were a particularly exploited group of workers that uh, were forced to work many, many long hours overtime. Um, we're we're, we're not getting home until after the pubs were not just shut, but, but cleaned up and having to get taxis home and no getting the aid for it, et cetera, et cetera. Loads of things. And my mum organised the bar staff and she, she, she helped organise one of the first ever strikes in the 1970s against Tenant Caledonian because Tenant Caledonian days never recognised trade unions. They wouldn't, they wouldn't negotiate with the trade unions. So my mum organised or helped to organise a strike and uh, I remember it, uh, clearly the discussions at the time because people were, were saying there's no chance that you'll have a successful strike in the bar staff because people will just go to a different pub. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't pick at every pub. You, you go for one pub to the other. So you've not got a negotiating hand. You've not got a stance. You've not, you've not got any power. <laughs> but but they, they won that strike after two days. And the reason they won it, Andrew, is because they never picketed the pubs. They picketed the breweries. And in those days, the delivery drivers were all in the union. They were on the TGWU, as my mum was in the TGW, Transport and General Workers Union. And uh, the, the drivers refused to cross the picket line. Um, so when the pubs did they get their deliveries, <laughs> they went mental. Then the Caledonian collapsed uh, and uh, they, they agreed to negotiate with the unions. And my mum won a, a help, won a, a very important victory. She then went on to become very involved in a, a movement. As a kid, I was very worried about Andrew. It was called the Battered Wives Movement. Um, and the reason I was worried about it is because my mum used to get these phone calls in the middle of the night um, for distraught women who, who had been beat up and had nowhere to go. Uh, they needed somebody to come and help get them to police stations or try and get them somewhere to, to seek refuge. Um, and my mum managed to convince the trade union to support the Bard Wives movement and to raise enough money for the first ever refuge to be built because the biggest problem for a lot of these women who were getting battered in relationships was they knew where to go. People used to say, oh, why don't you just leave? Well, where did they leave and where did they go to? Uh, that Bard Wives movement, by the way, developed into what's known now as women's aid. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the, the role that she played in, in, in building that organisation. So with that going on in the background, as I was growing up, uh, Andrew, 
I suppose it's no surprise that I became political. Um, although my mum does remind me that I used to say that I hated the trade unions uh, um, because she was always out at meetings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate the trade unions. And I also apparently, I, I promised that I was going to buy her a taxi when I grew up because uh, she was always waiting for somebody to take her to yeah, one meeting or another. So that's where my politics came from. In, in the modern studies classes at school, um, I, I remember one of my first experiences, and I suppose it's fitting, actually, because you've mentioned Pat earlier, and we've also had the recent death of John Hume. Um, John Hume was the first guy, first politician I ever wrote to uh, as, a, as a kid. I, I, I did my special study in modern studies on the Troubles in, in, in Ireland. Um, and in, in doing that, I had to write to several of the players at the time to uh, seek their, their opinions on and would there ever be a solution to the Troubles, etc. And John Hume wrote back to me and gave me a very fulsome response um, and uh, I thoroughly respect that. But in my modern studies classes, um, I didn't know at the time, but since uh, since going back to some friends reunited gatherings and, and speaking to old school chums, they tell me that uh, I was a pain in the arse and I kept arguing. <laughs> um, but in those days, um, I'm talking late 70s, um, the Labour Party was was the working man's party and, and the working class party and that's that's who I, I supported. At 17 years of age, I joined the, the Labour Party. Um, I, I then went on to go to university at 17. Uh, Andrew, I remember no one really knowing what I was going to university for, but my mom said to me, son, if you ever want to change the system, you first of all must learn how it works. Go and learn how it works, and then you might be able to change it. Um, so I, I went to uni at 17. Um, was involved in the the Labour Party, um, and lo and behold, I started reading books. Andrew, something I hadn't done as a youngster. Uh, I wish I try and tell my daughter she's she's recently turned fifteen and keep trying to get her to read books, and she keeps giving me the the, the dead stare. And um, obviously, she's more interested in watching YouTube and playing on her phone than she is in reading books. But I wish I'd started reading books earlier. Um, but I, st- I went to uni and started reading books. I read Marx and began to understand life and began to understand history and um, it developed my ideas, mate, and I've been a convinced uh, socialist ever since. Um, get involved in various campaigns. The, the minor strike of 84, 85 was a, a massive uh, event in my life. Um, showed me the class nature of society. It was described as a civil war without bullets and that's exactly what the minor strike was. Um, so uh, Throughout those years, I, I, I was very involved in the Labour Party and I, I actually was selected, Andrew, to become the next parliamentary candidate for the Pollock constituency. Um, this was in uh, 1987, um, in the run-up to the 87, sorry, it happened in 87, but it was going to be the 92 election. I, I was going to be the candidate for Pollock, the biggest ward of the Labour Party in those days selected me and uh, I was challenging the sitting MP, a guy called Jimmy Dunnicky, who a lot of people thought was right wing and wasn't doing a good enough job. So I was going to be the candidate. And then lo and behold, I get investigated for the for London. Um, they sent up uh, the witch finder general uh, to suggest that I was bringing the Labour Party into disrepute 
because I had advocated breaking the law in relation to the poll tax. Because I had called people who refused to pay, I get kicked out of the Labour Party. At the very, very time I get kicked out of the Labour Party, there was a guy who got a special award for the Labour Party for his services to it. The guy's name was Robert Maxwell. Um, he, he ripped off his pensioners, he, he ripped off his workers, but he got a special award for his services to the Labour Party in the same week that I get expelled for the Labour Party. So um, that, that was my, my Labour Party experience. I then went on uh, to build um, Scottish Socialist Alliance, Scottish Socialist Party, stood for the Scottish Parliament in 1999, Andrew, got elected to the Scottish Parliament representing Glasgow. Um, one member elected in 2003 uh, stood again as the leader of the SSP, and we got six people elected. The wheels come off that particular bus um, with a lot of internal wrangling, a lot of falling out, um, and uh, I formed Solidarity as a party in 2007. Unfortunately, I missed out in getting elected in the 2007 election by 1%, but I've kept going with the various campaigns against the bedroom tax, and of course, more recently, um, for independence, for Scottish independence. So um, that's a sort of a quick patchwork of about 25 years <laughs> <laughs> um, Constantine did I think about 20 minutes mate. Um, so hopefully that's giving you a wee bit of background Tommy, is the Labour Party finished in Scotland with the growth of the yes. SNP? Yeah, I mean the, the Labour Party's finished in Scotland uh, Andrew, until they grasp the constitutional question uh, by the, the hand and they decide that they are going to support independence so the, the Labour Party has to accept that breaking, breaking up the British Union is actually a progressive action. Those who believe in progressive politics, those who go to the independence marches, they're the ones that are carrying the placard saying, scrap Friday, that are carrying the placard saying, welcome refugees, that are carrying the, the placards, that are welcoming a new uh, profit, uh, 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 people before profit type of society. The reactionaries in society, Andrew, those that are backward, those that are reactionary are the unionists. The, those that want to retain the bloody butcher's apron British Union. Um, how anybody could defend the maintenance of this union and still call themselves progressive is beyond me. Um, breaking up the British Union is a progressive action. We're going to do it in Scotland. Scotland's going to become free. And by the way, I don't think it's long before Ireland becomes a unitary nation either. What about talking independence there? And you've, you've mentioned two countries, your own Scotland and my own Ireland. George Galloway, an old comrade, Tommy, to your knowledge, if he supports a united Ireland, why does he not support Scottish independence? And when are we going to see you debate with him? First of all, debate with um, George or anybody else that's a unionist, anytime, anywhere, any place, Andrew. Uh, not a problem, mate. Not a problem. I'm disappointed with George. I, I consider George a friend. We go back a long, long time. Um, I remember organising a defence at George's flat in Glasgow when he was getting threatened with sheriff officers for refusing to pay his poll tax. Uh, way back 1989, that had been. Um, so a long, long time ago, mate. So we go back a long way. But I simply find it contradictory in the extreme that George believes in a free Palestine, as I do. And a free Cuba and Venezuela and Ireland, as I do. 
but doesn't believe in a free Scotland. Um, he, he's a British Unionist, and it's sad that he's a British Unionist. And recently, he seems to be now willing to unite with people who are even Tories. Um, I saw a post recently where he talked about whether you're for fox hunting or against fox hunting, um, whether you're a Tory or, or, or not, you can support his new alliance. Well, I'm sorry, mate. I'm, I'm all in favour of united fronts against things like fascism and a united front even for independence. But who are you uniting with? I'm not uniting with fox hunters. I'm not uniting with Tories. I'm not uniting with people with reaction reviews on, on, on immigration and asylum. Um, but unfortunately, George is. Uh, and that's sad, mate. It's, it's sad. Um, so he's still a friend, but we, we certainly disagree on these issues. Now, Tommy, we spoke about two things today, politics and football. Where do you stand on the subject of politics in football, and in particular among the Celtic support? I, I don't think you can separate um, sport from politics, Andrew. I, 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 I get pissed off when I hear people saying, oh, um, sport's got nothing to, to do with politics. The anti-apartheid movement would never have been successful if it hadn't eventually had sporting heroes and, 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 and sporting icons making a stand and, and refusing to um, support apartheid and refusing to uh, visit South Africa. Um, those that, that stood, um, Tommy Smith stood in the platform in 68 with his fist in the air after winning the Olympic gold in solidarity with the Black Panthers. Today, we have got the most widespread boycott. Um, the National Basketball Association, Baseball Association, we've got tennis stars in America, all refusing to play in solidarity with Jacob Blake. Today, of all days, Andrew, your, your listeners will, will probably know this, but someone, and some of them will remember it. But exactly 57 years ago today, Martin Luther King made a speech at the Lincoln Monument in Washington to 250,000 people where he talked about having a dream that one day young people would be judged by the content of their character, not the colour of their skin. Well, sport is part of life. Life is part of politics. And therefore, the idea that we at Parkhead should not be allowed to express solidarity with Palestine, that we should not be allowed to sing songs that recognises the heroes of the Irish Rebellion of 16, I, I, I just think it's nonsense. I think it's ignorance of the history of the club and it's uh, ignorance of the tradition of the club. The club was formed to feed the poor of north of Glasgow. And by the way, it wasn't it just to feed the Catholic poor, it was to feed all of the poor. Irish immigrants, whether they were Catholic or Protestant. So it's not a club, it's not a Catholic club, but it is an anti-poverty club. And it is an inclusive club. The fact that many Catholics support it is fantastic, but it is a political club in its foundations. And anybody that denies that simply doesn't understand the history of Glasgow Celtic. Well said, Tommy. You know, you, you reminded me there that why it is so important that I, I called the magazine, the fans in more than 90 minutes, and I just think when I hear stuff like that, that we definitely called it the right name. 
because Celtic is certainly more than 90 minutes and it does involve football, politics, solidarity, involves so many things we spoke about today. On that point, I have to say that more than 90 minutes, you you know, the fanzine, the reason you guys have got so much respect, it's a crowded field. There's a lot of Celtic fanzines, there's a lot of blogs, there's a, there's a lot of material out there. But I've got to say, mate, you never, ever have lowered yourself to the clickbait mentality of having a, a website, a Celtic website that promotes articles for scab rags like the Sun newspaper, the Daily Mail. These are reactionary papers. These papers hate Glasgow Celtic and everything we stand for. And yet some websites promote these rags by, by, by putting their fucking articles on their, their website. By the way, most of what they write is shite anyway. <laughs> but I couldn't even care less if it was correct shite. It shouldn't be on Celtic websites. Personally, I'd like to see us banning papers like the Sun from Parkhead. They shouldn't be allowed in. Liverpool have done it. Everton have done it. Other clubs have done it. Why the hell don't we do it? Um, these people do not deserve to be given the time of day and certainly don't deserve a place on Celtic websites. Thanks very much, Tommy. Um, I do agree with you. And sometimes when I do say it, people say, oh, that's because you that's because you, you do a website and you do you know, an app and you do a fanzine and that. But it's not. It's because I don't believe that independent fan media should reprint any of the vile and bullshit that the sun spouts. And some of these click sites, Tommy, they're constantly linking us with every player under the sun just so they can get some Google ad clicks. I don't have Google on the website, so... I can't really comment on what kind of money they get or whatever. But certainly, if we have any sponsorship coming in, it's, we know who it's coming from. Well, coming more from... power to your elbow, Andrew. I think what you're doing, mate, it might be uh, more hard work. Uh, it might take while, a longer while to, to get success. But you know what, mate? You can look yourself in the mirror before you go to bed at night and you can be happy that you have no sold your principles. You have no sold your soul. So keep doing what you're doing. I mean, more recently, just as a wee example, I'm sorry to bring this up, but more recently, I, I, you see these clickbait articles. Scott Brown disagrees with his with his manager. Brown uh, in division with 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 manager and the rest of it. And then you read what he actually says. You, you look at his interview uh, on the telly instead of the way the uh, press have, have promoted it. And all he says is, "I don't know what the individual players have said to Kilkenny. I don't know what they've said to the manager." but I can only say what they've said to me. But that's made into a row. It's not a row. He's just telling the truth. He doesn't know what they've said. Um, so it, it just it pisses me off, mate. We've got to understand. And whose interest is it to have a divided Celtic fan base? And whose interest is it to have us all fighting among ourselves? These bastards in the press despise Glasgow Celtic. We've got to show a wee bit of unity. We've got to stick together. Here, here, Tommy. And Tommy, I'm going to finish off what's been a brilliant conversation with just, just a little light-hearted. Um, just give us a little insight into when you were in the Big Brother house. Did you not go off your head? I, I didn't watch it, right? No, but I had watched it previously when many years ago, I think it was the full series of it, but right. you, you were in the celebrity version of it, and I, I know you struck up a relationship with Coolio and certain other celebrities in there, but in lockdown, you know, if I didn't get out to walk the dog, I was unlivable with. And you were locked into this house, but I suppose 
you know, mate. Andrew, it was a brilliant like? experience. Listen, mate, I, 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 I listen to some people who go into these things and they try and give you sort of a artistic reasons and uh, oh, it's it's all about the the experience of the the, the experiment. And all. It's a, to me, it's just a lot of bullshit. You go on it because you got offered a lot of money to go on it. I was offered to go on it in 2006 and 2007. Um, and at the time, I was working. I was an MSP. So there's no way I was going to give up time to go and do another job when I already had a job. However, when I was asked again in 2009, I didn't have a job. Um, I was doing a law degree. I was trying to pay for the law degree myself. I was skint. Uh, I had a wee bit of gambling problems, which uh, isn't well documented. But anyway, I was skint and uh, I needed the money. So when they asked me to take part, Andrew, I come from Pollock in Glasgow. Um, the original offer was £60,000 for a three-week gig because it's only it was only on 21 days. So even if you stayed into the final day, it was only three weeks. £60,000, right? Now, as it happens, the agent that uh, had contacted us said, I'm going to ask for more. We ended up getting a fee, Andrew, of £100,000. Now, the agent took 20% of that, which I didn't understand at the time. So 80 grand, Andrew, for three weeks work. Now, I ask you, if it came to be locked in a house with some people that you'd never met before for three weeks for 80 grand, would you have done it? I'd still be in it, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Not only would you have done it, you would have walked from Ireland to, to London, <laughs> India, mate. So... That's that's the background, and that's the way we have to look at this. I never. It's not as if I was crossing a picket line. It's not as if I was buying a scum newspaper Sunday day. This I wasn't breaking any principles. You know, people, some people say, "Oh, you've lowered your standards." <laughs> What's the lowering of standards? They went out for three weeks and get, get paid a lot of money. Now, as it am, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I struck up a relationship with Coolio. Um, who I, I found a lot in common with, similar backgrounds, a very um, talented artist since he's came to Parkhead. He's been in paradise. He's done the paradise uh, windfall draw. He's done it very well. He gave a shout out for the Green Brigade. Um, also, Terry Christian, who's a, a fantastic guy, big Man United supporter, um, took me down to Man U to watch them play Liverpool. Unfortunately, I was a jinx. They lost 3 1 that day. Uh, 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 um, um, but uh, we're still friends. Even we Vern kept in touch. We Vern, rest his soul. Um, very troubled wee guy, but a lovely wee guy. Uh, so I had a great time there, mate. I, you know, it was full of tears and tantrums, but by and large, it was a good laugh. I, 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 I miss, I miss my daughter, uh, who was very young at the time. I miss my wife. Obviously, it was a, a long time away from them. But when you're struggling to pay the bills, mate, and somebody offers you some money of that character uh, and you don't need to break any principles to get it then that's why you do it pal. Uh, and I managed to give a, a, a shout out for the, for, the, for the tick when I was in there some people who did watch it may remember that one of the instructions from Big Brother was to Latoya Latoya Jackson was in and she was in the uh, wee luxury bathroom I was trying to do some sit ups and press ups trying to keep myself fit she comes in <laughs> and she tell me tell me all about her life and all the rest of it and the big brother voice comes over saying, Latoya, for the next uh, few moments, you must repeat everything Tommy says. 
Now, at the time, I remember talking politics, I was talking about public ownership, the, the uh, logic of nationally owned railways and health service. But I thought to myself, I'm going to have some fun here. So what I did is I started singing some songs. I sang, I sang Flower of Scotland first, and she had to sing it. But then I started singing Hail, Hail. Hail, Hail, the Celts are here. So, of course, um, Latoya had to sing Hail, Hail, the Celts are here. And believe it or not, Kulu uh, then put his heat through the wee door and says, hey, man, what's that song? I love that song. I want that for the LA Lakers, right? <laughs> so that's how good Hail, Hail was with Latoya singing. I don't have as good a voice as Latoya, but um, it was a great experience, mate. Uh, a once in a lifetime type of experience. I absolutely loved it, and I was well paid for it. So, uh, uh, you know, end of. Okay, Tommy, uh, just give us a little... Uh... Just give us a little update on where we can read your stuff or what you're up to, you know, with Sputnik and Hope Over Fear and bits and pieces. Andrew, um, I, I write for um, Sputnik uh, UK. Um, they have a, an international website. Um, if people are interested, they can go on to Twitter or Facebook. They can look me up, Citizen Tommy, um, and they can read my stuff. I, I, I tend to write two or three articles a week. Uh, I've written an article which is out the day. Um, bemoaning the fact that 57 years on from Martin Luther King's wonderful I Have a Dream speech in America, racism is as endemic and deadly in America today as it was 57 years ago. So if you want to read that, then then, then please do so. Um, I'm very involved in the independence movement. We've got a big um, annual event coming up on the 19th of September in the centre of Glasgow with appeal Everyone in Scotland who believes in independence, come along and safely social socially distance. We'll have masks and everything else there. Come along and stand and say loud and clear to the world that we want a new, a better, a fairer Scotland that puts people before profits, that dumps nuclear weapons and that tells immigrants and refugees from across the world if you want to come and live and work in our country, you'll be welcome. You'll get a hand of friendship, not a fist of fury, because we're not a reactionary uh, nation. We're a friendly country that believes in love and compassion and cooperation. That's the type of Scotland that we want to build. Tommy, I look forward to chatting to you again, and hopefully it's in Glasgow at a live show, maybe, because we've built up some great guests through the podcast now. So all I can say is, Thank you so much for talking to him today and for letting the listeners into your Celtic soul. It's always a pleasure, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. Hail, hail, brother. Thanks very much to Tommy for taking the time out to chat to us today on the podcast. Always very interesting talking to Tommy, what a life he's had. Well, folks, thanks again for listening and thanks to Ronan McQuillan for producing the show once again. If you like what we are doing and would like to support us, you can do so by visiting celticfanzine.com where you can donate, subscribe, buy or become a member for the price of a point. Thanks to everyone who has supported us so far, it's much appreciated. Don't forget to download our new app, it's free, and you will then have access to all our podcasts, articles, daily news, CFC TV, info on upcoming events, the fanzine and our online shop, all at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. You can also sign up for our newsletter. If your Salic Supporters Club or business would like to sponsor an episode of the podcast, Please get in contact by emailing us at info at celticfanzine.com. You can also message us through the website or contact us through social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. 
folks thanks for all the feedback and the comments keep them coming in keep in contact with us and let us know who you'd like to have on the podcast it's international break next week but we will be back on Tuesday with episode 25 Sunday Motherwell come to Celtic Park kick off 3pm without their best player with only 2 points having played 5 games so far this season I do expect us to win but will the win only paper over the cracks that remain at the club with the new app and membership up and running it's time now to get back to getting the fans in out on a regular basis. We also have some video content planned for during the season, but the old COVID-19 has restricted production for the moment. Enjoy the weekend, folks. I'm back spinning a few tunes at my spiritual home, The Cross, on Saturday night, before I sit down on Sunday on the sofa to watch Celtic again on TV. I never thought I would miss red-eye flights and hanging around airports so much. I'll never take it for granted again. Can't wait to swap the TV for the turnstile. So stay tuned, folks. Stay safe. Keep the faith. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 